I want to talk to you about a man who committed a murder when he was only 16 years old. The murder that the man committed when he was only 16 is not why I chose to talk about him on this podcast. The reason why I want to talk about this person is because he was given a second chance after giving a 15 year to life sentence in prison for murder only to get out, murder again, and then receive the death penalty. People from Claremont County, this episode's coming out of your area of Ohio. I am Bill Swafford, and this is Murderers in Ohio. So we got a killer on a run in Ohio. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Murderers in Ohio. I am still working on 88 counties of murderers in Ohio. That is where I talk about at least one convicted murderer, man or a woman, from all 88 counties of Ohio. This started with Season 2. Since the beginning of Season 2, I have talked about nine different counties in Ohio. So I am going to continue on with that and talk about a case out of Claremont County, Ohio. Claremont County is in the southwest part of Ohio. It sits by the Ohio River, just east of Hamilton County and the city of Cincinnati. Some of the cities that take up Claremont County are Bethel, Amelia, New Richmond, Owensville, Summerside, and others. The case that I'm going to talk about is out of Amelia, Ohio. Amelia is a small village, only about 5,000 people. Amelia has a low crime rate and a low cost of living. The village of Amelia is not too far from the Ohio River. The crime that I'm going to talk about happened on Lindell Mount Holly Road. This is a short stretch of road that runs west and east. This road is a country road, houses with big yards, and some wooded areas. Overall, it has the appearance of being a peaceful area for anyone to live. In 1996, the people that lived on Lindell Mount Holly Road did not know a murderer was living close by. In 1996, a 69-year-old lady by the name of Clara Swart lived alone in her home on Lindell Mount Holly Road. Clara had a son whose name is Tim, and Tim stopped by occasionally to help his mom out around the house. Clara was living the life of retirement. On August 29th of 1996, everything would change for Clara in the community of Amelia. Around 6 a.m. on August 29th, Clara would wake up and start getting ready for her day. She had been planning on going to a local restaurant for a Claremont County Senior Services lunch. To do this, she had to be ready to go around 8 a.m. when a Claremont County Seniors bus would stop by to pick her up. A neighbor had said that they had seen Clara standing outside in her driveway around 7 that morning. However, when the bus showed up at Clara's house around 8 that morning, Clara was no longer outside in her driveway. The bus driver had stayed in the bus and honked the horn a few times. 
Clara never did come out of her house. The bus driver did get out of the bus and go up to Clara's back door and knocked on the door. No one ever came to the door. The bus driver would later say that noises were heard from inside of Clara's house. The Claremont County Senior Center did try to call Clara at her home. There was no answer. This is where I got to stop and ask why didn't anyone call law enforcement or Tim, the son. An elderly lady does not respond to anyone, should be checked up on. No one had gone and checked on Clara until 6.30 in the evening on August 29th. Tim would go to Clara's house to check up on his mom. However, it was too late. Tim had a key to the home and let himself inside. What Tim found would change his life forever. Upon entering the kitchen of his mom's home, Tim found his mom, 69-year-old Clara Swart, on the kitchen floor tied to a chair. Clara had been murdered. Tim contacted the Claremont County Sheriff's Department. Law enforcement would show up at the home and start an investigation into Clara's murder and her home being robbed. While Tim was in his mom's home, he noticed that some things had been taken. Law enforcement would discover that Clara had been forced to sit in a kitchen chair. Her hands were tied together behind the back of the chair with a phone cord. For the young people who might not know this, old phones did not take a power cord, but they did have to have a cord to be plugged into the wall in order for the phone to work. At some point, Clara had been tied to the handle of the refrigerator door while still in the chair. Clara's attacker had taken an electrical cord and wrapped it around Clara's throat and tied it to the door handle of the refrigerator. The cause of death, though, was the attacker had taken the shoulder strap from Clara's purse and used it to strangle Clara to death. This was a violent attack on a 69-year-old lady, a lady who lived alone out in a country area. Given the location of the crime, it would appear to be someone who might have known Clara. There were things that were taken from Clara's house by her attacker. A clown figurine, a wooden jewelry box, and some jewelry, a wooden car, and some other items. Clara's house had been robbed. However, Clara was still wearing her wedding ring and earrings when her body was found on August 29th. Law enforcement would collect all the evidence that they could. They did find an unknown handprint on a mixer lid in the kitchen. Law enforcement did not release any details about the murder to the public. A murder like this in any kind of neighborhood will get the neighbors talking. This is how law enforcement found a person of interest. Clara had a neighbor friend, a lady named Mildred. Mildred told investigators, that she had seen Clara out in her backyard by the fence the day before on August 28th. Mildred claims that she did not know the man who Clara was talking to that day by the fence. Mildred says that it was a rather tall guy 
a large man. Clara had told the man that she was getting ready to leave with a friend, and the man finally walked away. The man lived in a house nearby. Mildred asked Clara who the man was, and Clara said she thought his last name was Cohen's. Clara told Mildred that the man had taken some things out of her garbage at some point. Clara also told Mildred that she felt nervous and scared while talking to the man. The man's full name is Jesse James Cohen's. Yes, I said Jesse James like the Old West outlaw. Jesse was a white man, 36 years old, tall, rather large guy. And he lived in a house behind Clara's house. Investigators would start to look at Jesse Cohen's as a suspect. They found someone else who had something to say about Jesse. This lady was also a neighbor of Clara's. Her name is Mrs. Tremell. She stated that she had talked to Jesse two days after the murder, which would be August 31st. She told law enforcement that she had asked Jesse if he had heard about the murder. Jesse's reply to her was, yes, he had heard about it, and it was terrible that someone would hang an old lady by the refrigerator door with her hands tied behind her back. I will remind you at this point, law enforcement had not released any details about Clara's murder to the public. That was a detail that only the killer would know. Law enforcement wanted to talk to Jesse Cohen's, but they did not have enough evidence yet for a warrant of any kind. Investigators did talk to Tim, Clara's son. Tim had said that one day in July, the month before, that he was taking things out to the garbage on the side of the road at his mom's house. Jesse had stopped in his Chevy Blazer and asked Tim if he could have a gliding swing that Tim and his mom was throwing away. Tim had said yes, and Tim had even helped Jesse load the swing into the truck. Tim and his mom did not really know Jesse at all. Law enforcement started to learn a lot about Jesse, like the fact that Jesse was out on parole. He had only been out of prison for three and a half months. Jesse was staying in a house behind Clara's home. The house that Jesse was staying in was actually Jesse's wife's house. Her name was Judy. They both claimed that they were separated as man and wife, but Judy allowed Jesse to live there after he was paroled from prison. 36-year-old Jesse had a criminal record that went back to when Jesse was only 8 years old. Imagine this, an 8-year-old boy finding a gun in the back seat of a car. That same boy takes that gun into a store and commits an armed robbery. Imagine that, because that is what Jesse Cohen's did at the age of eight. Some could say that Jesse did not have a good start in life. It is said that Jesse had, believe it or not, 17 brothers and sisters. All of Jesse's brothers, except for one, had done some time in prison. After the armed robbery at the age of eight, Jesse would continue to get into trouble with the law. 
racking up charges for trespassing, assault, and drug charges. That stuff would be something of interest to investigators. However, what really got investigators' attention was what Jesse had originally been in prison for. I feel like I have to say originally in prison because Jesse had been in prison twice under the same crime. What I mean is that Jesse had been paroled once, broke the agreement of his parole, and had gone back to prison to get paroled for a second time. The charge that Jesse was originally in prison for was murder and robbery, a murder by strangulation. This was the same as what happened to Clara Swart. In 1976, Jesse was only 16 years old. 16-year-old Jesse had a best friend who was in a wheelchair. This person was crippled. This person could not walk at all. Jesse said that he had been drinking alcohol and doing drugs one day. He stood behind his friend's wheelchair, wrapped something around his friend's neck. Jesse had strangled his friend to death as the boy sat in a wheelchair. Jesse took the boy's wallet and watch off of his dead body. Jesse then had turned on the gas burners on the stove in the kitchen in his friend's house. Jesse wanted to burn down the house but was unsuccessful in his attempt. Jesse, who was 16 years old at the time, was found guilty of robbery and murder. He was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. 15 years to life is a heavy sentence to be handed down to a 16-year-old teenager. I want to go back to Claire's murder investigation. I will talk more about Jesse's prison time in a little bit. So I'm at the point where law enforcement knows Jesse is on parole and that he has killed before and that he has also talked about details of the crime. They still don't feel as though they have enough evidence against Jesse for a search warrant. They wanted to search the house that Jesse was staying at. Investigators could not just walk into Jesse's house. They did know someone who could. Jesse's parole officer. Jesse's parole officer's name was Sarah. Sarah agreed to work with law enforcement. Sarah agreed to go to Jesse's house and do a checkup visit, which she is legally allowed to do. Sarah had gone to Jesse's and his wife's house with two Claremont County Sheriff deputies. When Sarah and the deputies arrived at the house, Jesse was not there. Judy, Jesse's wife, told Sarah that Jesse had been gone for a few days. Sarah, being Jesse's parole officer, had the right to search the house for Jesse and the right to search Jesse's room to see if there was any kind of violation of his parole. Sarah and the deputies searched Jesse's bedroom. They ended up finding a clown figurine. The clown figurine would be identified as the one that had been taken from Clara's house. Judy would give permission for the search to continue. The deputies would find a wooden car in Jesse's closet and find some things in the backyard by a tree in a wooded area. Judy would tell investigators that all she knew was that she woke up for work the morning of the murder. 
She had woke up Jesse before she left for work around 6.30 in the morning. The evidence against Jesse Cohen's, who was a rather large man, was stacking up. Jesse was born on October 23rd of 1960. One of the items that was found outside of Jesse's home by a tree was a wooden jewelry box. On September 2nd of 1996, just four days after the murder, a detective would use a bloodhound dog around Clara's property. The detective used one of Jesse's t-shirts for the scent for the bloodhound. It is said that the bloodhound tracked Jesse's scent from Clara's back door through the yard over a fence, lost the scent, regained the scent, then tracked the scent down to where the stuff was found by the tree. Then the bloodhound lost the scent again, then regained the scent again to lead them to Jesse's Chevy Blazer. It sounds like the bloodhound dog stayed busy. Something else happened on September 2nd of 1996. Jesse James Cohens was arrested for murder of 69-year-old Clara Swart. Jesse would soon be up against a second murder trial in his 36 years of life. Jesse would be up against eight different charges, aggravated murder, robbery, kidnapping, murder while kidnapping, and some other charges. The new charges that Jesse was facing, and plus the fact that he was already a convicted murderer, Jesse would be looking at the death penalty if he was found guilty of Clara's murder. Here's something about when Jesse was arrested. After Jesse was put into handcuffs and put into the cruiser, the deputy drove past Clara's house. As they were passing Clara's house, the deputy slowed down. He wanted to see what Jesse's reaction would be. Jesse would say that it was terrible that he was being singled out because he was an ex-con, an ex-con who had been convicted of murder. Jesse would claim that he was innocent and had nothing to do with Clara's murder or things taken from her home. The evidence they had against Jesse at this point was they had found a handprint in the kitchen of Clara's house. That handprint was a match to Jesse's hand. They found Clara's stolen property in his bedroom and outside of the house where he was staying. The bloodhound dog tracked Jesse's scent from Clara's house to a tree and then to Jesse's blazer. Then there is the fact that Jesse had talked about a detail of the murder to a neighbor and that detail had not been released to the public yet. They had good evidence against Jesse even though Jesse claimed to have not murdered Clara. This is where a guy by the name of Marvin comes into this case. Jesse would sit in a jail cell while he waited for his day in court. Jesse would share that jail cell with an inmate whose first name was Marvin. Marvin would end up being a star witness for the prosecution. If you have not guessed by now, Marvin is a jailhouse snitch. We already learned that Jesse likes to talk about what he has done. Marvin would testify that at first Jesse claimed to be innocent of Clara's murder. 
After gaining Jesse's trust, Marvin said that Jesse's story would soon change. Jesse had talked about more details of the murder that still had not been released to the public yet. Marvin testified that Jesse had made the comment that he wished that he would have taken the old lady's wedding ring and earrings because everything that he took was worthless. Clara was still wearing her wedding ring and earrings when her body was found. Jesse had first told Marvin that he had actually chased some teenagers out of his yard. Those teenagers had thrown some things when they had took off running. Jesse said that he had found what they had thrown. He sorted through it, most of it worthless. He took what he wanted and just left the rest where he found it. The story about the teenagers in his yard was a lie, and Jesse soon told the truth to Marvin. Judy, Jesse's wife, did wake Jesse up on the morning of August 29th of 1996. Jesse had gotten out of bed and had gotten dressed. Jesse would leave his house through the backyard. He went through a wooded area, jumped a fence into Clara's backyard. He then had gone inside of Clara's house through an unlocked door. Once he was inside of the house, Jesse confronted Clara sitting on the toilet in the bathroom. Jesse jerked Clara off the toilet and dragged her to the kitchen. Jesse had forced Clara to sit in a kitchen chair. He took a telephone cord to tie Clara's hands together behind the back of the chair. He then took an electrical cord, wrapped it around Clara's neck, and then tied it to the handle of the refrigerator door. If Clara would have fallen off the chair, she would have hung herself to death, unless the door handle broke off. After Jesse had Clara tied to the kitchen chair and to the refrigerator, Jesse took two pillowcases and walked around the house. He filled the pillowcases with whatever he could find that might be worth some money. Jesse had gone back to the kitchen. He took the shoulder strap of Clara's purse, wrapped it around Clara's throat, and he strangled her until she wasn't breathing. He then took the pillowcases that was filled with Clara's stuff and left her house. When Jesse had left Clara's house, he walked the same way that he did when he first arrived at Clara's. He walked through Clara's backyard, jumped a fence, went through a wooded area, and then stopped. He had stopped by a tree to go through the stuff that was inside of the pillowcases. He realized that most of the stuff was worthless, so he kept a clown, figurine, and a wooden car. He had left everything else outside. Then he had gone inside of his wife's house. Detectives said that they did find urine in the toilet, indicating that Clara was in the bathroom when she had been confronted by her attacker. Jesse had also told Marvin that he was inside of the house when the senior's bus had stopped at the house to pick up Clara. I don't like hearing that because that means if the bus driver would have done more to make sure Clara was alright, then maybe Clara would have still been alive when help showed up. 
This sounds like Jesse had planned on killing Clara before he had even entered the house. I say this because Jesse could have robbed the house while Clara was gone. Jesse chose to enter the house knowing Clara was home. A jury would hear all the evidence against Jesse. They would listen to what Jesse's defense team had to say. When it was all said and done, a jury would find Jesse James Cohen guilty on all eight charges. On April the 17th of 1997, Jesse Cohen would be sentenced to death by the state of Ohio. Throughout the years, Jesse tried to appeal the court's decision a few times. All of his appeals were denied. Tim Swart, Clara's son, is like most people that believe Clara would have never died if Jesse Cohen's would have not been paroled. On May 30th of 1997, Tim filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Ohio Department of Corrections. This lawsuit claimed that there was enough evidence to prove that Jesse should have never been paroled the first or second time that he was in prison. Jesse was first paroled in 1989 while serving his 15 years to life sentence for murdering his best friend. The parole board was advised not to parole Jesse. Jesse had received more charges while in prison for assault, drugs, and for having prison shanks. The parole board were even given pictures of Jesse fighting with sheriff deputies during his trial. At one of his trials, Jesse had to wear a shock device in the courtroom because he was so violent. Those devices can be put around the ankle or raised. And when somebody acts out, an electrical current will shock them. This is the first case that I have talked about where a shock device was used in a courtroom at a trial. It was said that Jesse had no family or friends on the outside. However, for some reason, Jesse was paroled in 1989. He had only served 13 years of his 15 years to life sentence for killing his best friend who was in a wheelchair. You might wonder what did Jesse do with his second chance at life after parole in 1989. Apparently not much. Only 16 months after being paroled, Jesse was arrested for leaving a scene of an accident. They found Jesse had a knife, pills, and marijuana on him. He was in violation of his parole. Jesse had gone back to prison for a second time on a parole violation. He should have stayed in prison. After violating his parole and going back to prison, Jesse would serve another seven years locked up in a prison in the state of Ohio. In May of 1996, the parole board, probably a different group of people than the first time, for some reason decided to parole Jesse for a second time. Then, three and a half months after being paroled for a second time in 1996, Jesse Cowens would murder 69-year-old Clara Swart. The state of Ohio would side with the parole board and made the decision that the parole board did nothing wrong by granting an early release to Jesse at either one of his parole hearings. To see that the state of Ohio sided with the Department of Corrections does not surprise me. 
that decision made sure that the state did not have to pay out any money. Parents go to court and jail for things that they let their kids do. But the Department of Corrections is free to let murderers back out on the street without consequences. While on death row, Jesse claimed to have found God in religion. Jesse had been known to tell people that he was sure that he was going to heaven. I would have to say that Jesse had his shot at forgiveness the first time that he was paroled. There were reports that prison guards said that Jesse was a well-behaved inmate while on death row. Jesse would sit on death row in Youngstown, Ohio. This was before death row was moved to Chillicothe sometime in 2011. Something else happened in 2011. I do not have the exact date, but it happened on a Tuesday morning. Standing outside of his jail cell at 6.35 in the morning on a Tuesday in 2011, Jesse Cohen's collapsed due to a heart attack. He was pronounced dead an hour later. Jesse's death sentence was never carried out by the state of Ohio, but Jesse still died in prison. I am a firm believer that 69-year-old Clara Swartz's murder could have been prevented. The parole board did not have to release Jesse the first or second time. Clara Swartz should have never met Jesse Cohen's. Then I also believe that Clara's murder could have been prevented if the bus driver of the seniors bus would have done a better job of checking on Clara. The bus driver said there were noises from inside of the house, but the bus driver did not worry about whether or not Clara was hurt in any kind of way. Clara might have been 69 years old but she still could have had a few more years with her son, Tim, if Jesse would not have been paroled and moved next door. Thanks for listening. Please rate this episode and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. I am Bill Swafford, and this has been Murderers on Ohio. We got the devil on the road in Ohio.